So uh, this past week, uh, I went to Buffalo, saw my mom, and uh, had a great time with her, and uh, praise God, she's 93 and doing really well. But on the way there, I listened to an audio book, and it was the story of uh, Ravi Zacharias. Some of you might know him. The title of the book is uh, going from, Walking from East to West, and it's a story of his life. And it's an amazing story because Ravi Zacharias has a worldwide ministry. He's ministered to, he's spoken in the United Nations. He's spoken on every major college campus, probably in the United States and in England and all over the world. He's well-renowned. And um, one of the things that I, what struck me so much about his life was that he began to open up about his attempted suicide when he was 18 and 19 years of age. And I had never really heard that much about uh, Ravi's uh, attempted suicide because uh, he never really wanted to talk about it. He would mention it once in a while in an article and in, in, uh, a journalist or somebody would ask him about it, but he never went into much detail. And in the book, he goes into detail about it. He grew up in a family uh, that was pretty uh, strict. His father had great expectations for him, but it seemed like Ravi was more into the athletics than he was into the studies. And for him and his family, that wasn't uh, an affirmation. That wasn't something good. And so he struggled in school and uh, struggled with his own uh, self-confidence, struggled with how he saw himself. And then when he was 18, 19, he was in college and he was falling behind. That's all he wanted to play was cricket, which is a form of baseball, <laughs> which I kind of liked. But uh, so he's, he's, he's putting all his time into this and he realizes the studies are going backwards, you know, and he's falling further and further behind. He doesn't know what to do. And then in desperation, he goes into a chemistry lab that he was part of, and he makes a concoction. He takes it home, goes into his bathroom, and he drinks it. And uh, it was a miracle that he did not die, that his vocal cords weren't burned, that his intestines weren't destroyed. And it was a miracle because one of the um, helpers in the family heard him gasping for air and opened up the bathroom door and called the ambulance that got him to a place, uh, to a hospital, and they revived him. And uh, he sat there in his room, not sure what he was going to do. But there was this one fellow who came to see him. He was the head of Youth for Christ. And uh, he heard about Ravi's uh, attempted suicide. His sister, Ravi's sister, had started going to Youth for Christ at some of their meetings and had received the Lord and was trying to share the gospel with Ravi, but he has nothing to do with it. And then, at that moment, the guy gave him a Bible, and it had a certain scripture on it, John 14, 19, because he lives, we shall live. Because I live, you shall live. And so uh, he took it to heart, and he began, he started to go to some of those meetings, and later on, he receives Christ into his life. But if you think about it, how close, how close this man, 
who was used by God to reach hundreds of thousands of people, came that close to ending it all at the age of 18 or 19. It's amazing to think about that. But yet, I also see that God was at work using people in his life, whether it was his sister, or whether it was the leader of Youth for Christ, or whether it was the circumstances around him, preparing his heart for the gospel. And when he actually opened up his life to Christ, he began to have a passion for wanting to know him even more. I think that's a real key part. He began to be convinced that Jesus could be trusted. He began to be convinced that what Jesus said was actually true. And it changed his entire life, his whole perspective on life, his motivation for living, his motivation and meaning and purpose. He answered some of the big questions in his life by finding Christ. How many of you know how to swim? You know how to swim? Good. I'm glad most of you know how to swim. I remember learning how to swim. Do you remember what the first time you tried swimming? I remember it. I mean, I was scared. My father said, you can do it. I said, no, I can't. He said, look around. There's people swimming all around here. We were in a big lake. And then he challenged me. And the, the thing that I had to get wrap my mind around was, was my father trustworthy? Was he able to help me learn how to swim? And so he took me by the hand, and I remember him kind of holding me. I must have only been about five or six years old, but I remember him holding me up with one hand. And he said, kick, kick, kick. And then, and then he said, move your arms, move your arms. And so he did, and then he let me go. And then I went, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and then I thought, I got, I got back up. And he goes, no, 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 no. He, let me teach you how to hold your breath underwater. And then he showed me how to do it. And then I wasn't so scared anymore, and then pretty soon I got to learn how to swim. It took quite a few hours, maybe a day, but I finally learned how to swim. But one of the things I was thinking about was I was convinced that my father knew how to swim and could teach me how to swim. And it made all the difference in the world in me learning and being motivated to try it. You know when I think about people and about faith and about Jesus Christ? I think that a lot of people aren't convinced that God could be trusted. A lot of people aren't convinced that, some people aren't even convinced that there is even a God, that we could know Him, that we could follow Him. But I believe that we're living in a day and age when people are beginning to ask these kind of questions about what is the meaning of my life, what is my purpose, what does God want for me in my life, and how am I to know God, and how am I to follow God? And as people begin to ask these questions, He places you and I in their midst to help them find those answers. If you think about this, if you think about your life, and you think about if you're a Christian here today, if you know the Lord, there were people that God placed in your life to convince you of the trustworthiness of who God is and who Jesus Christ is. And it's the same thing uh, that other people need in their lives. So when I looked at this passage in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1-7, through 7, I thought about the Apostle Paul and how he was so motivated, had such a passion to reach people. And why did he have that? 
Well, it says here in, in chapter 1, it says, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and, rec- and receive eternal life. Now, what the Apostle Paul is saying, he goes, I was the worst. I was the worst case. There's no way I would ever believe in Jesus Christ. And yet God had unlimited patience in my life to show himself to me and convince me that I, that I needed him and that he is the Savior of the world. And so the Apostle Paul goes from chapter 1 to chapter 2, and he's writing to this guy, Timothy, who's his uh, uh, disciple. And he's showing him, he said, Timothy, what I want you to do is to begin, first of all, if you want to share this gospel with other people, begin in prayer. That's one of the most important things. It's prayer. If you see the Apostle Paul, the guy is always praying. He's praying in prison. He's going to a different city and he's praying. He's looking for a place of prayer. Why? Because he knows that prayer is the foundation of what opens up people's hearts to start to ask the questions of life that lead to Jesus Christ. And so when we look at this, it says, I urge you then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people. The first thing that the Apostle Paul says, he, he breaks down prayer into three different words, or three different words in the Greek. Uh, petitions basically means specific requests. That means specific things you want to pray for somebody that needs to know Jesus. And I think this is something that we have to maybe... Um, Reset in our lives is a passion for reaching out to other people that don't yet know the Lord. It could be in your family. It could be friends that you know. It could be co-workers. It could be classmates. But first of all, petition specific requests. Name them before God's throne. Prayers are general prayers. Prayers are, are general prayers. Maybe they're prayers that are written in the scripture. But they're Powerful prayers. Even the Our Father is a powerful prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. But the specific, uh, these are general prayers. And then intercession. Intercession is even a stronger word. It's standing in the gap for somebody else. They're out there, not thinking about God. Nowhere near him. You're here before the very throne of God. And you're standing in the gap for them and saying, God, would you build a bridge to that person and reach them? Would you open up their heart to them? So intercessions with thanksgiving and thanksgiving. This is a key. It's not like a hopeless battle. It is guaranteed that God will answer prayers like this. He will. He will answer prayers like this. He will work and move. And so to have that heart. And I was thinking about this. This is a scripture that is not saying be political. It's being pray-litical. Be a person of prayer. Don't get into politics. Get into prayerolics. Or what, is that a word I just made up? I think it is. Pray about it. Pray-liticals. We're going to be pray in this church. We're going to pray 
for people. We're going to pray for people in government, but we're also going to bring down that and narrow that down to people that we want to come, that we want to see come to know Jesus Christ. That is so important. And this is for kings, for those in authority, that they may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. See, God wants us to be a praying people so that people will be open to asking the questions in life that are very, very crucial in them coming to know the Lord. And it says, this is good and it pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So this, uh, what, what the Apostle Paul is saying is that God wants people. He wants your friends, my friends, my family, your family. He wants all people. He's not exclusive here. He's not, he's not, he's inclusive. He wants all people to come to know Jesus Christ and follow him. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. And so the Apostle Paul says, man, this is the gospel. This is the good news. This is what Jesus Christ did for us, but he did it for all people. And we're to take that message And bring people into a place where they can receive that. Well, how do we do that? As a church, we want to give you a way, one way, that I think will be, I think is a proven and good way to do it. What if you were invited to a wonderful dinner and uh, you were surrounded by friends that really love you? respect you. It was a safe place to be. And I, was, I was thinking about this as I was uh, up there with Chris in the beginning of the service. And you know what I thought was so beautiful? There's people that were coming in and you saw each other for the first time this year or for the first time this week. And uh, you greeted one another. I, I thought it was just beautiful to watch you guys. And you really genuinely love each other. It's, it's great. It's something that doesn't happen in every church. I know that. But it's something that, it's a quality that we have in our church that I think God wants to use to reach out to other people that maybe aren't a part of our church or, have, or are, are not walking with the Lord right now. And he wants us to invite them in. And so on Wednesday nights, starting in February 13th, we're going to start what we call Alpha it, alpha just means beginning. It's the first letter of the alphabet. But really, it's a, it's a beginning discussion about what it means. Who is God? Can he be trusted? Does he exist? All these things, all these questions that people have to kind of sift through before they decide to follow Jesus Christ. And it's a dinner. We're going to sit at a table, a round table, about eight, ten people at a table. And we're, gonna, we're inviting everybody in the church. So you are all invited, no matter what your age is, Wednesday nights, February 13th, 7 p.m. You can come just to discover what it is. Because I believe going through this entire session, even if you can only make some of them, but try to make all of them, it will build a foundation of what you believe, why you believe, and it will help you to prepare you to answer the big questions in life for yourself, but also for other people. And so I really uh, encourage you to be a part of this. So the talks, they're designed to bring up questions 
about what we believe. <coughs> and <clears throat> we want to create an atmosphere where people can just ask questions. And no question is off limits. No question is off limits. And so there's a lot of love and respect that we want to build into that. So this afternoon, I want to share with you one of these talks. So I'm not going to preach that long. I'm going to share with you one of these talks. And then um, I'm going to just share part of it, though, because I want you to come to see the rest of it later on, on February 13th. So, Chris, do we have that? Is it up and ready to go? So let's listen to this and see what you think about it. Hi, I'm Nikki. Welcome to Alpha. Life is busy. Every day we ask so many questions. What should I wear? What's the weather going to be like? What's happening today? How am I going to fit everything in? But then there are those bigger questions. Like, why am I here? Where am I heading? Is this it? Is there more to life than this? These are life's big questions, but there's rarely enough time to think them through properly. We all have different perspectives on the meaning of life and faith, and Alpha is an opportunity to explore life's big questions. This is a great place to come together and talk about them openly and honestly. I'm Gemma. I'm Toby. And this is Alpha. Um, I go on Google. Google. I definitely Google. I go on Wikipedia. Internet. I uh, scroll through all the different answers and then I try and combine it and then make my own kind of like cornerstone. Or smart friends. I don't ask big life questions. It's too hard to answer. Google or my grandmother. I meditate or I read. When I have a big life questions, I probably go to my family. I haven't really had any mess with what they say. So. My mom or my dad, basically. My mom or my dad, maybe my grand. I get most of my answers from the library in any section there because I don't really trust the people that I'm around. The key is always to yourself. you got to figure some things out for yourself. If I'm confused, I go to him first. And he confuses me more. But when it's something more personal, I try to find it within myself first. Friends of mine told me that the first night they came to Alpha, they sat in their car for half an hour waiting and watching people going in. And eventually when they'd seen enough normal looking people going in, they thought they'd give it a try. And one thing that might be going through your mind is, am I going to be the only one there who doesn't believe all this stuff, who's not a Christian, that doesn't go to church? Well, if that's you, then you're in the right place. Alpha is designed for people who wouldn't call themselves Christians or who are not regular churchgoers. It might feel a bit strange to be discussing life and faith with people that you've never met before. But the best thing about Alpha is often the great friendships that are formed over the weeks. For much of my life, I was not remotely interested in Christianity. In fact, I didn't think I'd ever come to something like Alpha. I was not brought up as a Christian. My father was a secular Jew. He was an agnostic. And my mother didn't go to church. Uh, and... 
I had no interest at all in Christianity. First of all, I just thought it was so boring. Everything to me about church, Christianity, religion was just dull and dreary. And it kind of made me feel a little bit guilty. I didn't know why, but I just didn't want to have anything to do with it. And I also thought it was untrue. I, I thought I'd sort of thought it through and uh, I'd come up with these intellectual objections and I called myself very pretentiously, I called myself a logical determinist. And I quite enjoyed arguing with people who called themselves Christians. And at university, I had a bit of a reputation for being an argumentative atheist. And I also thought it was irrelevant to my life. I couldn't see how someone who'd lived 2,000 years ago, 2,000 miles away, could have any relevance to my life today. It just seemed outdated and irrelevant. But at the same time, looking back now, I would say something was missing. I say that because I don't think I was living in the moment. I was always looking forward to the next thing in life. So when I was at school, I was thinking, when I finish my exams, maybe that will be when I'm going to really start to enjoy life. I finished my exams. And then after about three weeks, I started to think there's got to be more to life than this. And I thought, well, maybe when I've left school, that will be what life's all about. And then I left school, and after about three weeks, I started to think, there's got to be more to life than this. I thought, well, maybe the answer is to get a girlfriend. And somehow, I don't know how I managed it, but I managed to find a girlfriend. Again, after about three weeks, I started to think, there's got to be more to life than this. And, and basically, there was something missing. I was longing for more. The actor Jim Carrey once said, I wish everyone could get rich and famous and have everything they've ever dreamed of so they would know that's not the answer. Some people dream of having their name in lights, of fame and fortune. Some people dream of finding happiness through relationships, careers, money, whatever it may be. But do you ever get that niggly feeling that as good as those things are, there must be more to life? Yeah, all too often life just doesn't turn out the way we think it should. And even when it does and we achieve our wildest dreams, it's somehow never quite enough. It just doesn't satisfy. It's like there's something missing. The comedian and actor Russell Brand said, drugs and alcohol are not my problem. Reality is my problem. Drugs and alcohol are my solution to fill up a hole inside me. And Jesus said, I am the bread of life. In other words, I'm the one who fulfills the longing that's deep inside every human heart. Jesus claimed to be the one person who can satisfy that spiritual hunger. Freddie Mercury, the lead singer of the rock group Queen, had amassed a huge fortune and attracted millions of fans. But he admitted in an interview shortly before his death that he was desperately lonely. He said this, You can have everything in the world and still be the loneliest man, and that's the most bitter type of loneliness. Success has brought me world idolization and millions of pounds, but it's prevented me from having the one thing we all need, a loving, ongoing relationship. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Ultimately, there's only one relationship that is totally loving and goes on forever, and that's a relationship with God. And Jesus said, I am the way to that relationship. Maybe money? What makes me happy? Music. Music, ice cream, and cheese. Sleep makes me happy. I was going to the gym, see my friends, going to the pub, play football. Dogs. Alcohol. Uh, women. Pretty much. The idea of life in general makes me happy. Clothes. Uh, women. More to life than this. 
That's a really good question. I don't know. I can't tell you. I think we're supposed to learn a couple of things. There's nothing more. I'm still figuring that out, to be honest. Uh, no. Let's live in the moment. Absolutely. I strongly believe that there's more to life than this. No idea. Sorry. <laughs> when I was about 17, I was sitting having a burger with two friends, and we were looking out the window and commenting on a few of the stores across the street, and I suddenly realized that I couldn't read any of the signs, even if I squinted. So I asked if I could borrow one of my friend's pair of glasses, and as soon as I put them on, I realized I could see everything, like colors, shapes, words. I was amazed at how everything was so clear. And I could see before, but now I could really see. And to me, that's the best way to describe the difference that Jesus makes. Jesus is the lens through which we see God. And he's also the lens by which we see the world in a totally different way. Jesus said, I am the truth. Some people's response to a Christian might be, well, it's great for you, you found meaning and purpose in your life, but it's not for me. But when you think about it, that's not actually a logical position, because if Christianity is true, it's of vital importance to every one of us. And if it's not true, it's not great for us, because it means we're deluded. C.S. Lewis was one of the great intellectual giants of the 20th century, probably best known as the author of the Chronicles of Narnia. He said this, Christianity, if false, is of no importance. And if true, of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. I come from a family of lawyers, so naturally I wanted to look at the original documents and sources. I never really looked at the evidence before, and I was astonished at how much evidence there is for the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. For me, it was through reading these documents that we find in the New Testament that I came to the conclusion, it's true. One of the last cases I did as a lawyer was in the Court of Appeal in front of Lord Denning, an absolutely brilliant mind, perhaps the greatest judge of the 20th century. He said on one occasion that his Bible was his most tattered book in his library. He'd examined the evidence really carefully, and he came to the conclusion, it's true. One former professor of history at Oxford University described the resurrection as the best attested fact in history. I hadn't realized how many of the pioneers of modern science were believers. Descartes, Newton, Kepler, Galileo, Locke, Copernicus, Faraday, Kelvin, Pasteur. Francis Collins, one of the greatest scientists of our time, was director of the Human Genome Project, mapping the three billion letters in the human DNA, considered by many to be the most significant scientific undertaking of our time. He describes how he encountered Jesus and came to believe in the truth of Christianity. Well, in the home where I grew up, uh, faith was not something that was talked about very much. Uh, my father was a professor of drama, my mother a playwright. Uh, when I went to college and those discussions in the dorm late at night about religion uh, began to occur, I had no particular reason to attach value uh, to a faith system. It had never been something I was familiar with or had internalized at all. And I assumed that any religious feelings that anyone held must be on the basis of some emotional experience, and I didn't trust those, or on the basis of some childhood indoctrination, uh, which I felt I was fortunate to have missed. I loved the experience of learning about the human body and all of the components of that, and I particularly loved being introduced to genetics. 
But then I ended up in, in the medical school curriculum sitting at the bedside of patients with diseases. This was no longer an abstract study of molecules and organ systems. These were real people. And one afternoon, one of my patients, a wonderful elderly woman, much like a grandmother uh, who had very bad heart disease. Uh, she had a particularly bad episode of chest pain uh, while I was with her. She got through it. And at the end of that, explained to me how her faith was the thing that helped her in that situation. She realized that the doctors around her weren't really giving her that much help, but her faith was. And after she finished her own very personal description uh, of that faith, she turned to me, and I had been silent, and she looked at me quizzically, and she said, what do you believe, doctor? And ultimately, I had to admit to myself that her question had made me realize that I had arrived at an answer to the most important issue that we humans ever deal with. Is there a God? And I had arrived there without ever really looking at the evidence. And I was supposed to be a scientist. If there's one thing scientists claim they do is to arrive at conclusions based upon evidence. And I hadn't taken the trouble to do that. I was greatly assisted uh, by a pastor who lived down the road who I went and asked about all this and who gave me a copy of C.S. Lewis's wonderful book, Mere Christianity, because here was an Oxford scholar, a prodigiously developed intellect, who had traveled the same path. Within those pages, I realized for the first time that one can come to belief on a rational basis and that, in fact, given the many pointers that one sees around oneself in terms of the universe and it having a beginning and its fine-tuning in terms of the way in which all those constants that determine the behavior of matter and energy seem to have been set just in a certain very precise range to make life possible uh, and many other things including my beloved mathematics and why they actually work anyway to describe the universe something that makes you think the creator must have been a mathematician that brought me then to the person of Jesus Christ as a person who was historically extremely well documented. That was news to me. I thought Christ was as much myth as history. And I realized after reading more about it, this was a historical figure upon which we have a great deal of evidence for his existence and his teachings and even his rising from the dead in a literal way. That day at uh, my patient's bedside started a journey for me, a journey that I was reluctant uh, to begin, but I felt I needed to, a journey that I thought would result in strengthening my atheism, but to my surprise, resulted in my conversion. There's a difference between knowing facts about someone and really knowing them personally. Now, I've known my husband, Phil, for three years now, but suppose if before we met, I found him on a website called The Amazing Man. Now, there's no doubt I would have looked at him and thought, okay, I'm intrigued. But what if each page was dedicated to his amazing abilities, his sparkling personality, his tender heart, his extraordinary intelligence, and his cooking abilities? Well, I would think, wow, he does sound like an amazing person. But that's head knowledge. But I also have the privilege of being married to him. And I know that he's an amazing person, which is knowledge that comes from the experience of a relationship. And that's heart knowledge. When Jesus said, I am the truth, he was talking about more than just a kind of intellectual truth. The Hebrew understanding of truth was truth as experienced. And there's a big difference between a kind of intellectual knowledge and a personal knowledge, between your head and your heart. 
So when someone says, I know Jesus is the truth, they're not just talking about being convinced of the evidence. They're also talking about experiencing a relationship with the risen Jesus Christ. So Jesus said, I am the way, the truth. And lastly, he said, I am the life. I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. Jesus came to deal with the things in our lives that stop us from enjoying life to the full, the things that spoil our lives. I hate shopping. I loathe it. I I think I'm allergic to shopping. But occasionally my wife Piffa persuades me to go shopping just after Christmas. Interesting, isn't it? You know, some people are asking... The questions about life and others aren't even. It's not even on their radar. It's interesting uh, that Nicky Gumbel, the lawyer, thought he had all the questions of life figured out. And then he realized that he had never even investigated it clearly. Francis Collins, the same thing. Never even asking the question about life, but then comes to the conclusion that there is a creator. And Jesus Christ really is the Savior. What happens when people begin to search for answers? What happens when uh, God begins to work in people's life? Well, they can come to a place of understanding and knowing Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And I think this is what the Apostle Paul said. He said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous one will live by faith. You know, God wants us to learn to walk by faith, but he also wants us to share our faith with other people. And so what are some action steps that we can do that are practical for us to do in answering the questions of life? Well, first of all, you begin with prayer. If you're asking the questions, ask God, first of all, to show you the answers to those questions. I remember my first prayer was, God, if you exist, would you please show me that you're real? That's an honest prayer. That's a prayer that we can pray. But what about if we're praying for somebody else, like the Apostle Paul was? He was praying and interceding with prayers, with requests, with intercession and thanksgiving for other people. God wants us to do that as well. Get equipped with the tools the gospel has given us. So another thing is that as believers, we're responsible to be equipped and ready to share the gospel. One of the ways that you can learn how to do this is by coming to Alpha. Another way that you could share the gospel is by inviting somebody else to come to Alpha. And just to sit and to hear the teachings and the talks and to talk about them with other people, many of whom are on the same path as them, and allow God to work and move. So I'm excited for how God has led us to uh, do this ministry of Alpha. I've talked to other pastors that have done this in their churches, in uh, many of the churches in Long Island here. People have uh, gone through this, and it's really life-changing for a lot of people. I've also understood that 26 million people, I think it's 26 or 29 million people, have already gone through the Alpha course worldwide. So it's not something that is just uh, random here. It's something that has been proven to really help people come to saving knowledge of Christ. 
So I want to encourage you to pray. We're going to be praying at uh, 2 o'clock today. And uh, one of the items on the prayer is for the Alpha program and uh, the outreach that we're going to be having. And so I encourage you to think about it, check, about, check it out. Patrick is going to be back in the back. Uh, he has a form. If you want to join the Alpha, we just need to get a number so we know how many people are going to be coming for dinner. It's free of charge. There's no cost involved. We're going to have, and we're going to have good food. Believe me, that's one of the things. Good food brings people out and keeps them coming back. Right. So, you know, we eat well at this church, so we're going to have good food. And then we're just going to have a loving atmosphere. It's going to be uh, very low-key. It's going to be from 7 to 9 o'clock. It's not going to go later than that. <clears throat> so it's a reasonable time to get home if you have to go to work the next day. So let's pray and ask God to bless our time as we go into communion. Father, we pray that you would uh, continue to be speaking to us, continue to teach us what it means, uh, Lord, to share your love with others, uh, to understand the gospel and then to share the gospel with others, to not be ashamed of the gospel, Lord, but to be excited about knowing the answers to life. We ask this all in the mighty name of the Lord Jesus Christ.